Welcome to Nevertheless, She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of She Persisted. This week, I'm really excited because this is the first week I'm recording in my new podcast setup. So if you are not following me on Instagram at She Persisted Podcast, be sure to head over there. The link is in today's show notes so you can see the behind the scenes of this podcast recording and photos of the podcast setup. I'm also going to be posting the videos of this week's recording because we're filming it. We are going all out with this new setup. I'm so excited. Anyways, this week's episode is your one-stop shop for everything you need to know sleep-related, especially to maintain your mental health. If you are aware of my story, you know a huge part of my mental health struggles with my sleep. And so I have been trying to get my sleep on track and optimize for good sleep while struggling with insomnia and depression and anxiety for years. So I have tried everything and I am here to give you the tips and tricks that will help you sleep soundly without needing medical intervention or to be extremely like medicated. So sleep, like literally why, so why is it important for your mental health? So when you go to sleep, that's when your brain recharges and it, I mean, you have different cycles of sleep. I do really want to bring on an expert onto the podcast to talk about what actually goes on when you fall asleep, why it's so important to your mental health, but very broad strokes when you're going to sleep, your brain is able to recharge. It's repairing, it's doing emotional work, it's, um, it's like cataloging, cataloging memories and information, and it's making you able to function the next day. You are refueling, you're recharging, so you're not physiologically struggling. And also emotionally, it does a lot of work at that point as well, so you're not as emotionally vulnerable the next day. Okay, so sleep is really, really important, and I can put some studies in today's show notes of why there's such a strong link between sleep and mental health. And there's so much we don't know about sleep, but what we do know is that there's a very strong correlation between rates of anxiety and depression and OCD and all of these different mood disorders when you are lacking sleep. And the other issue is that when you do have these diagnoses, sleep issues are also common because things like anxiety and racing thoughts and restlessness and depression, which is rumination, and OCD, which is again like rumination and restless thoughts, those prevent you from sleeping well. So it's kind of like a catch-22 because lacking sleep makes these things worse and these things also come with lack of sleep. So to give you a little bit of a background into my sleep journey, I guess you could call it, I started struggling with my sleep around like seventh or eighth grade. I went through this phase where I thought it was like a really cool moment to watch TV all night and then wake up in the morning and drink a lot of coffee. I thought that was like a really nice part of my personality. And obviously that's extremely ineffective. (laughs) That's, you cannot perform well in school. You cannot perform well at a job. You will suffer if you're not sleeping. So begin with that. And going into my eighth grade year, I was doing really well academically. I was thriving on all my projects. And this was because I would work on them for way longer than the average student. So I would come home at like 3 p.m., 4 p.m. from school, and I would sit down and work on homework until 6 or 7 a.m. the next morning. And this went on for for a couple of months, and it would go for like, I would have really bad weeks where I'd be doing that like every single day, and sometimes it would be only a couple days a week. And so, again, 
very ineffective, very unhealthy sleep habits, sleep patterns. And that was when it did really start to affect my mental health and became quite an issue. And so from there, I, as I started to experience depression and anxiety, all I knew was that when I woke up, I, I experienced that. I felt, I felt anxious all day, every day. I felt depressed all day, every day. I was sad. I was lonely. I was isolated. I hated the life I was living. And so I made the connection that was that, which was that when I was going to sleep, I was getting more depressed and I was getting more anxious. And that wasn't necessarily logical. It didn't make sense. But I knew that feeling when I woke up and I had to start a whole nother day and go through that all over again. I dreaded that. So I would avoid it at all costs. And I really did see sleep as the issue and the enemy. And I also, a way that my anxiety had presented was really bad nightmares. And so that meant that sleeping was a very miserable experience for me. It was hard to fall asleep. I woke up like six or seven times throughout the night. I would have these horrible nightmares. And so it was, I hated it. I genuinely hated sleep. So fast forward when I started going to therapy and seeing a psychiatrist, seeing a doctor, all of that, they obviously tried to target this with medications because when you're not having your sleep in check, everything else will kind of fall off the wagon. So I tried a bunch of different sleep meds. And again, I hated sleep so much that I hated the meds. I hated that they forced me to go to sleep. I hated the feeling of being sedated and I would not take them. I would say that I didn't want to take them. It was, it was a mess. And so I went through my whole treatment journey. I tried outpatient treatment. I went to a residential program called Three East McLean Hospital in Boston. I went to therapeutic boarding school in Montana for a year. So I went through that whole journey to work on my depression and my anxiety and my self-talk and all of that mental health and mental wellness things. So I went through this whole mental health journey and I kind of turned around my mental state. Again, I was someone who was struggling with severe depression. I was diagnosed with severe anxiety, severe depression, OCD, a whole host of things. And I worked on that and I turned that around. And so really diving in and focusing on the sleep piece, now that we kind of have given a background to what my sleep looked like, why it was problematic, why that was something that we targeted, sleep. So Summary, overall, history of bad sleep. I hated sleeping, which is funny because now I love sleeping. Sleeping is like my favorite thing to do. But I hated being asleep. I hated nighttime. Like the other thing about the insomnia was that I wasn't able to fall asleep. And at my house at like 3, 4 a.m., no one was awake. No one was up. I was by myself. I could do whatever I wanted. It was peaceful. I didn't have to deal with family conflict or judgment or anything like that. And so I thrived during that time. So that was, again, reinforcing that lack of sleep. Okay, so going back to sleep itself. During my time in Boston, we started to really dive into and kind of explore why I was having so much difficulty falling asleep, why I was having difficulty staying asleep, what was making it so problematic, all of that kind of stuff. So I actually did do a sleep study. I did not want to do a sleep study, but I did one anyways. And what that is, is when you go, you go to a hospital, they do them at hotels sometimes also, but they hook up all of these wires to your brain. They check your breathing. You have this mask on and you fall asleep and they track every single thing they can relating to your sleep. And that's when they look for sleep apnea. They look for restless leg syndrome, like all these sorts of things that can make it physiologically difficult for you to fall asleep. So I did one of those 
And they found that I woke up like 120 times throughout the night and it took me like three hours to fall asleep. So we know there was a big issue. Something had to be targeted, but again, the medication wasn't a long-term solution. I hated it. It was like uncomfortable. And so we had to try something different. So enter sleep trial and error for literally months and months and months. We created a sleep protocol. And this was basically a list and of like instructions of sorts and rules that I would follow to go to sleep. There's like so many different parts of it, but I will give some ideas. I will do the order I did things in and you can pick and choose whatever is helpful for you. And I will share what I'm currently doing to maintain my sleep towards the end of this episode. But this is again, when I was severely struggling with depression, severely struggling with anxiety and needed every single thing I could just to get a night's sleep. Like I was (laughs) such an insomniac. I would go and I would take, I still took meds at night at that point, so I would go and take my meds at the same time every night. I would stop eating right after dinner, so I wouldn't eat any snacks, I wouldn't drink any like sugary drinks or soda or anything like that. None of that after dinner time, and we normally eat dinner like 6 or 7, so after 7 p.m., I would not drink or eat um, anything other than water. If I was starving, I would have some fruit or something, but again, it was avoiding like really heavy foods that could impact your sleep. The other thing that I did would I w- was that I would not exercise after that point, whether it was like like something small like crunches or ab exercises or like going on a run. Like I just would not do that after dinner time because again, that can also impact your sleep. So I would avoid physical exercise and eating after dinner time. I would take my meds at the same time every night. At that point, I believe I still took melatonin, And if you're not familiar with melatonin, melatonin is a natural chemical that occurs in your body and its production is actually related to blue light. So we'll get into that in a minute, but you can take supplements that increase the amount of melatonin your body is producing, or you can just like ingest some. And so it makes you feel tired. It makes you feel sleepy. So it's a healthier alternative to medication and it can give you that little bit of a boost that you might need to fall asleep and get in bed at night. So I would take my meds at the same time every night, which was about 30 minutes before I was going to get in bed. So it gave them time to kick in. I wasn't laying in bed, getting bored, getting annoyed, but I would take them at the optimal time where as soon as they kicked in, I was sitting in bed. So again, we have avoid exercise, avoid heavy eating, and take meds at the same time. From there, I would do my whole bedtime routine before I started to feel fatigued and feel tired. So we have no heavy eating, no heavy exercise, take meds at the optimal time. And I would do my bedtime routine like your skincare routine, changing into PJs, drinking your tea, whatever it is I would do before I got tired. We've all had that experience where you're just dead tired. Maybe you're getting off a plane, you're jet lagged, you've just come home really late and you're trying to like force yourself to brush your teeth, do your skincare, get into bed and you're just so tired. That's what we wanted to avoid because we're optimizing for that 10-15 minutes where you feel sluggish, you feel tired, you want to go to bed. Because if you're you have insomnia and you take a medication or you take a supplement, you often will fight off that urge to fall asleep and after that point it's just a lost cause. You can't fall asleep. So you want to optimize for that 10-15 minutes that melatonin makes you drowsy, makes you want to go to sleep. Even if you're not taking melatonin, that time when your body physically feels tired. You're optimizing for that window. So I mentioned drinking tea. Herbal tea is another great way to kind of soothe your body, go to bed. You want to make this night routine. You want to do a pattern. You want to have the same thing every night. If that's something that's relaxing for you, then go for it. Maybe you like listening to like very, very calming music. Whatever it is, you want to build that into your sleep routine and optimize for that relaxation. So the next thing I would do, I've gotten ready for bed. I've taken the meds 
and I would get into bed as soon as I started feeling drowsy. And I am someone who has to read before bed. I read before bed for honestly my whole life since I was in like grade school. I would read a chapter. I would read pages, whatever it was before bed. And so when you're choosing what book to read before bed, you want to pick something that's not interesting. You don't want it to be a novel where it's you love it. You are constantly wanting to read on to the next page. You want to read something that's not emotionally investing. So maybe it's a memoir, maybe it's someone's, like, it's a self-help book, maybe literally a textbook if that's what's boring to you, but you want to pick something that you don't love to read. And this is hard for me because I love reading books that I enjoy. I don't like reading things that I don't enjoy. So now I do read a book. I read a romance novel before bed. I love romance novels. So I will read one of those before bed because I am able to be aware enough of my body that when I feel that fatigue, I can put it away and go to sleep. But if you're not aware of that and you are leaning towards that urge to not go to bed and feel that insomnia, then you do not want to pick something that is emotionally investing and will keep you awake. So if you like to read before bed, choosing a book that's not emotionally interesting. So you're reading before bed, maybe you're listening to an audiobook, whatever it is, again, but not emotionally investing not grabbing your attention. One thing I forgot to mention that you also want to do is you don't want to have a lot of blue light. So maybe you have the setting on your phone where it's no blue light, your computer, but really if you can avoid screens before you go to bed, that's that truly is optimal, like an hour or two beforehand because that blue light impacts your melatonin release. So avoiding screens, we talked about reading. As soon as I start to feel that urge to fall asleep, that fatigue that you feel, maybe when you're sitting in class and like your eyes are closing, that is what you're optimizing for. So that's when you put the book away, you lay down, and I love a good meditation. So when I was in Boston, I had two favorite meditations that I would do, and now I'm doing more guided meditations that I've just been finding on the podcast app. And if you, again, follow me on Instagram, I've been posting every morning what meditation I was using, my thoughts on it. So if you want recommendations, you can head over there. But the two that I would do in Boston that you don't need a phone for, you don't need any technology, are flashlight meditation and counting. I think it's called counting meditation. But I will guide you through both of those at the end of this episode so you can turn that on um, before you go to bed if that is a helpful resource for you. So meditation. And with that meditation, another thing you can do is just breath awareness. And I think that's I'm much better at being aware of my breath when I'm doing a guided meditation, when I'm just focusing on my breath. I find that I can be focused on my breath and have my mind running and so I have to be, have enough focus on something where I'm subconsciously focused on my breath and the majority of my attention is focused on that counting or that flashlight meditation or that guided meditation in a podcast because otherwise I just end up in a whole swirl of thoughts and like don't even realize that I've sidetracked. And again, with meditation and mindfulness, the main rule is that you don't get angry at yourself when your mind wanders. That's natural. That's normal. That's how the brain works. So self-compassion, you say, okay, I notice my thoughts shifting and I'm going to re-push them back to my breath or this meditation, whatever it is. And that meditation is, if you are truly paying attention, you're feeling that fatigue, you're tired, that will put you to sleep. In the event that I know for me, the first day of school when I was younger, that was always something that kept me up all night. If you cannot fall asleep and that meditation will not do the trick, you've gone all the way through, your thoughts are racing, it's not working, you are going to still lay in bed. You're going to try for 30 minutes to focus on this meditation, to focus on this breathing, to try and get to sleep. If that does not work, what you're going to do 
is you are going to get out of bed. I know it sounds very counterintuitive. You're going to get out of bed. You're going to sit in a low lit place and you're going to read or do meditation. And so I feel like reading is more common. I don't know many people that just like to sit at night by themselves and do guided meditation, but that is an option as an alternative to reading. But really it's non-technology activities that are calming and are putting you to sleep. Okay, so 30 minutes after really, really making an effort and trying to go to sleep, you are going to sit in a lowly lit place. Maybe it's the hallway, maybe it's a corner in your room. Maybe it's the ground. You're going to have the light on low enough that you can read, you can do whatever the activity is, but you are not having the light all the way on. You are still trying to go to sleep and you are going to try and read for 10 to 15 minutes or until you feel drowsy. And the key is that you are getting yourself out of bed. Not only, I don't know exactly what the scientific reason for this is. I can research it more if you guys are interested, but not only like I know for me, I got anxious when I would go to sleep. So it alleviates that anxiety and your brain is able to go back into the pattern of falling asleep. But also you're like, it's, I, I really need to do more, more research on that. But it does work if you switch the location that is extremely effective for increasing drowsiness. So you're going to read for 10 to 15 minutes. You're going to go back to bed and you're going to do it again. You are going to do the guided meditation. You're going to do the deep breathing. You are going to do your counting meditation. Whatever it is, you are going to do that for another 30 minutes. And you can do this cycle as many times as you want to, of getting out of bed and going um, back and doing your meditation, breathing, whatever it is, to go to sleep. And of course, I'm not suggesting you do this for hours on end. That's ridiculous. I know for me, someone who severely struggled with insomnia, the most I ever had to do this was like probably two or three times. And it's because you are really, you are dedicated to falling asleep. That is what you are focused on and you are optimizing for that. You're truly focused on your breathing, your meditation. You are calm. When you are in the other room or in your lowly lit place reading, you're not on your phone, you're not watching a movie, you have to be committed to optimizing for this drowsiness and this sleep. Okay, so next, yeah, you can continue that. And maybe you're really hungry, whatever it is that's preventing you from going to sleep. If you're hungry, you'll go and eat a snack, you'll go and eat a piece of fruit. And then again, you'll go back and try to do your breathing, your meditation in bed again. Maybe you're thirsty, drink some water, drink some tea, all these things that optimize for relaxation and you're still avoiding heavy foods, exercise, blue light, all like interaction, emotionally engaging things, you are avoiding those and you're just optimizing for sleep. So you're going to do that cycle as many times as you want to until you fall asleep. Okay, so flash forward to the next morning, you wake up. The key is to have a pretty consistent wake-up time that you wake up at every single day. And it doesn't really matter what time it is. I mean, of course, I'm not recommending you wake up at like 1 p.m. every day, but say you're going to say 9 a.m., That's not necessarily super early, but you're going to say every single day, I'm going to get up around 9 a.m. Maybe sometimes it's 8.30, sometimes it's 9.30, whatever it is, but you are going to get up at that time. And if you have trouble getting up, I'm someone that is horrible at getting out of bed. I have found that roommates have been very effective to help me get up. Using alarms sometimes can be effective. We have two dogs and that is one of the most effective things for me because if I don't get up, I don't take them out, they're going to pee on the ground. And so it's literally like a built-in alarm clock for you to get up. You have to go out. And then... Another thing that I've just really been harping on recently is having a morning ritual. And so this is having a morning routine that you enjoy and you look forward to. Maybe it's listening to your favorite podcast, listening to your favorite music, 
getting your favorite cup of coffee, having things that you look forward to because that is what gets you up in the morning. When you're depressed, it's you don't have things to look forward to. So it's making these tiny moments that bring you joy. And so for me, I hated waking up because it meant I had to live my life, which I mean, that's so depressing, but I honestly did. And so having these little things that bring you joy can help combat that negative sluggish emotion, that like blanket that feels like it's over you in the morning. So that is getting up at the same time every morning, whatever way is effective for you to get up, but you want to maintain that time you get up in the morning and again, avoiding naps. I didn't say this yet, but avoiding naps throughout the day. And this is really hard for me when I haven't slept well the night before. All I want to do is nap in the afternoon, sometimes even in the morning, but you can't do that because you won't be able to fall asleep that night. And if you have more of an awareness of your sleep, you know, okay, I can get by with a 30-minute nap in the afternoon, then fine, do it, go for it. But if you are severely struggling with insomnia, you have to avoid these things that can make it more difficult at all costs. Another thing that I did when I first started, when I first started working on my sleep was I would avoid all caffeine. And if you're someone who, you need coffee in the morning, fine, totally go for it. I was someone who didn't drink coffee consistently. And for me, my body was just really sensitive to the effects. I would stay up all like all day, I could feel that night. Like I was just super sensitive and you want to decrease all of these potential vulnerabilities to not being able to fall asleep. So we talk about not napping during the day and then we've made the full cycle to the next night getting ready to go to bed. So to update you on my current night routine, again, that sleep protocol was extremely intensive because I was severely struggling with insomnia and it was having such drastic effects on my mood. I could not hold a relationship with my parents or my siblings. I was constantly depressed, constantly anxious. Like it was just disastrous. And let me tell you, once I did this sleep routine and I was able to sleep through the night and get up in the morning for literally only a week, that was the first time in two years that I didn't feel depressed when I got up in the morning. That was the first time in two years that I did not want to end my life. And so sleep can have shocking, shocking, shocking effects on your mood, and I cannot recommend prioritizing that enough. Okay, so my current sleep routine. I am not as rigid with what I do now. It's a lot more flexible. If we're doing a family dinner or we're going out, whatever it is, I'm not going to be like, okay, I need to be back home at 8 p.m. to like begin this whole sleep giant protocol. No, I'll just begin it when I get home. So what I do is I put up all work items, of course, not on podcast night because I am a procrastinator or if I have homework, but optimally, I will put up homework and work items by like 6 p.m. So that means that I'm not like, I'm not finishing homework assignments, I'm not doing like stuff for an internship, whatever it is, you kind of end that and you create that separation in your day do dinner. Sometimes I'll have dessert after. I don't really snack before bed. I do still avoid that. Sometimes if I'm feeling it, I'll make a cup of tea, but that is not a staple in the slightest. So I'll get upstairs, I'll go to bed, and I do my routine before I get into bed, like my skincare routine that is. I take my meds before I do my skincare routine. I still read before bed, but like I mentioned, I read a romance novel, not something super boring anymore, and I don't really do the whole cycle thing of getting out of bed and getting back into bed every 30 minutes. And the reason is, I joke about this all the time, like I rewired every single core belief that was fueling my depression, that was fueling my anxiety. Like I am an extremely mentally strong person. And yet when it comes to like working out or getting out of bed in the morning, like I can't do it. (laughs) My mental like strength in that aspect is horrendous. And I, I laugh about that all the time, but like I just don't have enough like rigidity, whatever the word would be for that to like maintain that protocol so strictly. 
So yeah, I read a book before bed. I do try to avoid watching TV. I went through this phase where I just loved watching The Office or I loved watching Bob's Burgers while I was falling asleep. But I really do notice that it takes me longer to fall asleep. and I don't sleep as well if I'm doing that as I'm falling asleep. So I've been reading a romance novel and then as soon as I start to feel that drowsiness, what I do is I pull up, before I do my skincare routine, I pull up a podcast, which is a guided meditation. I'll just scroll through one that sounds interesting. Great, I'll cue it. And then to minimize my exposure to blue light. And then as soon as I finish reading and feel that drowsiness kick in, then I will turn on the guided meditation, practice the breathing, and most of the time I will be able to fall asleep. Now, I can't fall asleep after one episode. I will put on another one. But that has been really effective for me. I'm able to get up in the morning with the dogs, like I mentioned. Some days I do go back to sleep. So I'm not perfect. I'm just like you. Like it's it's a work in progress always. So yes, that is my current routine. And then I have my ritual in the morning. I love making my coffee. I love eating like a smoothie or fruit for breakfast. I love taking the dogs out, getting started on my day. I love listening to podcasts while I'm getting ready. Like that has just been for me what is making me so happy in the morning to get up and just start my day. Before I head into the meditations, because I don't want to wake you after you are calming yourself and falling asleep, if you enjoyed this week's episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It means so much and helps the podcast out so much. Follow me on Instagram at at ShePersistedPodcast and, and share this episode with friends, family members, social media, whoever it is, if you found it helpful. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next Friday. So... As promised, I'm going to lead you through two guided meditations that you can do while you're going to sleep. And both of these can be used independently. You can just say them to yourself in your head. You do not need to listen to someone say them to you, but I want to teach you how to do them so that you can implement them yourself. And I highly, highly recommend these. So the first one is called counting. And you are going to, you're laying in bed. Okay, I'm going to do this like legit, guys. This is like a real guided meditation, like the ones you, you hear. Okay. Relax yourself. Lay in bed. Maybe you're on your back, on your side, on your stomach. However it is that you feel comfortable. Okay. You're going to lay down on your back. You're going to settle your head into the pillow. You're going to have one arm on your chest, one hand on your stomach. You're going to be aware of your breaths in and out. Your body is relaxed. Let go of all tension, all stress, all anxieties, worries, whatever you're holding in your body. Inhale and let that stress out as you exhale. Again, inhale and release all of that stress. I'm gonna walk you through a counting exercise, which you can repeat as many times as you need to, to fall asleep. We're gonna start at 10. Every single time I say a number, you're gonna inhale and exhale. Inhale 10, exhale. Inhale 9, exhale. Inhale 8, Exhale. Inhale seven. Exhale. Inhale six. Exhale. Inhale five. Exhale. Inhale four. Exhale. 
three, two, one. Now we're going to count down from one number less and keep repeating the cycle. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. With every cycle you begin, you are falling deeper and deeper into that drowsiness. You're letting yourself go to that sleep. You're relaxing into your bed. Your head is relaxing into the pillow. Your eyes are closed. You're letting sleep take you. With every deep breath, you're inhaling and exhaling for longer than you've inhaled. Let's continue. Eight. Seven. Six. Five. Four, three, two, one, seven, six, five. Four, three, two, one, six, five, four. Three, two, one. You're breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth. Five, four, three. Two, one, four, three, two, one, three, two. One, two, one, 
You can repeat this cycle as many times as you need to. Focus on your breath until you're lulled into that sleep. If you still haven't fallen asleep, you can try this other meditation called flashlight meditation. I want you to imagine there's a flashlight above you. A flashlight that brings awareness to different parts of your body. As I guide you through this, you'll focus all your attention on that part of the body. Become aware of the sensations, the discomfort, maybe the pain, the stress you're holding, whatever it is in that part of the body. Imagine there's a flashlight just over the tips of your toes. What are you feeling? What are the sensations? Continue your breath, breathing in through your nose, out through your mouth. You're primarily focusing on my words, but you're also focusing on your breath. The flashlight is moved now up to the middle of your toes. What are you feeling? What are you sensing? Don't focus on anything above that point, simply your toes. The bridge of your feet. Are your feet sore? Did you walk a lot today? Your goal is to not move these body parts. You're staying absolutely still, just bringing intense awareness to each body part. The tops of your feet. Do you feel the blankets on your feet? Are they soft? Cool? Maybe they're warm? Is there, do you feel the cool air? Are you sitting above the covers? The flashlight is now on the tops of your ankles. What are your sensations? What does it feel like? The flashlight is now moving to your very lower shins. What are your sensations? What are you feeling? Can you sense the sheet on top of your leg? What is the temperature like? Are you holding stress in your legs? Are you tense? Your goal as you move through each part of the body with the flashlight is to completely bring awareness and then relax that part of your body. Your middle shins. What are you feeling? What are you sensing? Are you holding tension on the back of your leg and your calves? Release it with each breath. Inhale with that awareness of the stress, the tension, the sensation. Exhale and let it go. Forget about it and move to the next part of your body. In your knees, do you feel the sheet atop your body? What is the temperature? Is there any tension, stress, or movement in that part of your body? Exhale and let go of anything you're holding there. Your lower thighs are now being shined on by the flashlight. Do you feel the sheets atop your legs? Are you clenching your legs? With your next exhale, release that tension. Maybe you don't feel any tension, but still release and 
Calm yourself even further. Settle into the bed. And let yourself just completely relax into that sleep. In your mid-thighs, are you feeling tension? Does it feel different on the tops of your thighs versus the back? Inhale. And let it go. If it helps to bring awareness to that tension by clenching that muscle and then releasing, you may do that as well. Clench on the inhale and release on the exhale. You'll find that the tighter you squeeze your muscles on the inhale, the more calm and released and comfort you feel on the exhale. With that contrast. Your lower stomach and buttocks. Do you feel tension? What are the sensations? Is there stress you're holding there? Inhale and exhale. You're now moving on to your stomach where you can feel your breaths coming in and out. This is different from the rest of your body as you're still moving with each inhale and exhale. Are you releasing each breath completely? Letting go of that stress, your worries, your anxieties, and giving yourself into that sleep and restlessness. Now your chest. You're also feeling movement here with each time you inhale, you feel your chest fill, expand, and sink down again as you release that air. With each exhale, I invite you to let go of any stress anxieties, worries, anything, and let it out with your breath. We've now moved to your shoulders. Do you feel any stress in your shoulders? Tension? Completely let them roll back and lean into the mattress. Completely relax your arms into the bed. Become aware of the sensations of them being completely still, even though that might bring you discomfort. With each exhale, let that discomfort go. Be aware of it, accept it, and let it go. In your neck, inhale. What are you noticing? What are you feeling? What are your sensations? Exhale anything other than comfort drowsiness, and peacefulness. We've now moved to your jaw. Are you cleansing your jaw? Are your teeth closed? Are they touching? Where is your tongue resting in your mouth? Wherever it is, don't cause any movement. Just become aware, accept it, inhale, and release all the tension you've now become aware of. Inhale. Do you feel stiffness in your cheeks, your cheekbones, your nose? Exhale and let them relax. Let your face feel that peacefulness and calm. Your eyes are closed. Do you feel that your eyelashes on your cheeks? Can you feel your eyes moving behind your, your eyelids? Whatever it is, inhale and exhale bringing your attention back to your breath. Become aware of each follicle of hair on your head, your ears, what do they feel like, 
and let go of that awareness with the exhale. In your forehead, are you feeling tension? Is it tight? Are you keeping it stiff as you're practicing this exercise? Inhale and exhale all those worries, that stress, that tension, and just let it be. We've now reached the top of your head. Take a big inhale and exhale every single bit of tension we've just brought awareness to from the tips of your toes to the top hairs and the follicles on your head. Exhale and let all that stress go. Let yourself fully fall into the bed, into the mattress, into the pillow, free of discomfort, free of awareness, free of stress, and give in to that peace, calm, and sleep. Continue to focus on your breathing. Inhale. Feel the air head through your nostrils. Feel your chest. Feel your stomach. Feel your stomach rise with your hand laying on your stomach. How does it make your arm move in response? Exhale, feeling that lack of oxygen. Feeling the air leave your mouth. Go into the air. Feeling that tension leave your body. Continue to focus on your breath. Breathing in. Breathing in and out, over and over again, until you can give yourself into that sleep. Breathe in and out. In.